Well, hopefully you made your way there to Judges chapter 10, and um, we will go before the Lord, and we'll pick it up there at verse 1. Father, we again are here before you, Lord, uh, just opening our, our hearts uh, to you and to your word, Father, as we um, just, Lord, can't, uh, uh, can't wait really just to hear all that you have to say to us, Lord. It's just such a great opportunity we get to come here in the middle of the week to, you know, just spend time in fellowship and in the word here. And Lord, we know that you're going to do great things uh, in and through our hearts tonight, Father, because when we just take the time and put in the effort, Lord, to want to be around your people, to be in the center of what you're doing and to hear from you, Lord, uh, you, you do great and wonderful things, Lord, and we expect nothing less tonight, Lord. So again, move in our midst by your spirit, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now last time when we left off, you might remember last time we talked about, it really was a new low. We talked about this judge named Abimelech, who again um, really makes it on the, you know, the 10 worst list, I guess. Because um, remember, judge is not like the guy with the black robes and the gavel. It was more of a hero or a redeemer. That's really what the word judge means here. And they were leaders that were brought up and raised up by God to deliver uh, or rescue his people from the bondage that they found themselves in. Although last time it was a little bit different, well, maybe a lot different, in the fact that this guy uh, really wanted to make himself king. And it wasn't appointed by God. As a matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. He killed all of his brothers so that he could come to power and there wouldn't be any claim to the throne other than his own. And we saw how evil begot evil. Uh, the people's hearts were evil, you know, in, in putting them there and thinking they'll get something out of it. And you remember the mess that it caused. And it all kind of came back on them and it came back on him, all the wickedness that happened there. And so Abimelech has moved off the, the scene. And, and tonight we're going to look at three judges, although two of them, we'll just get like a brief brief thumbnail sketch of them and, and we'll focus really on, on one um, as we go through here uh, tonight, really. He's the focus of these two chapters here. And so let's uh, read in verse 1 of Judges chapter 10. It says, After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamnir in the mountains of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. And he died and was buried in Shamar or Shamir. So you want to know about this next judge? That's about all we get to know here, other than he had a funny name and it was tough for him on the first day of school because his dad's name was Dodo. Just kidding. <laughs> and he was Tola and a lot of funny names there, but he was uh, a very little we get. Now, he's from up there. This is uh, uh, Tola up here. This is the area. The map's not super clear, but... These are all these other places are all the judges that we're going to see, by the way, and that where they're from. But, but, but Tola was, uh, was right here. He was from this area right here. And he judged Israel, it just says, for uh, 23 years. And really, it's just kind of a placeholder. It, it, you know, the author of Judges is just kind of writing down, you know, uh, who came and in what kind of order here. And in this case... 
Again, the Lord just, just didn't choose to record any of the events in, in this guy's life. Really nothing at all. How he saved Israel, what was going on, what the story was. We just don't get, we don't get anything other than the fact to say that this was the next guy that was used by the Lord. But again, the Lord didn't choose to record any of those details other than his name and the fact that he, that he uh, was used by the Lord to save Israel. And then verse 3, after him arose J.R. the Gileite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which were called Habath-Jar, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jar died and was buried in Canaan. I'm sorry, in Camon. Uh, I'll read that a little closer. So the next one, uh, he was born uh, up in... Uh, Gilead, and I can't read it right now. I'm sorry about that. I just made it a little bit bigger. I guess I can't make it a little bit bigger. Hold on, let's look at it again here. He's up on the, up above that on the next one up on the left. He's from up in that area there, and uh, again, we know uh, we don't know a little anything more about him. Just a little bit more about this one was that he uh, again reigned uh, for 22 years, so about the same time. And we know a little bit about his family. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys, and they had 30 towns, which they called havoth Jar. And uh, what that tells us a little bit, he's a little bit like Gideon. Remember Gideon, after he was used by the Lord, he had 70 sons. Now, to have 30 sons or 70 sons means you had to have a whole bunch of wives uh, because that's not counting the daughters. You know, if you had 50-50 daughters to sons, that means you had a lot of a lot of children, which means you had to be married a lot. And we've talked about that uh, polygamy uh, again. Uh, God laid down certain rules, but He never approved of it. And certainly, we know going back from the beginning, it wasn't His ever plan because He created Adam and Eve, a man and a woman. And of course, the New Testament addresses it very specifically. Uh, but it, he did allow at times for those to have it. But really, when you see people that were married and had multiple lives, it was always a problem. It was never, you never see anything good written about it in the Bible. There's always a lot of problems. And so um, certainly uh, that finds out here. So to have 30 sons, um, you know, he had to have wives or concubines. Remember, back in those days, um, you know, we have treaties with nations, so we don't want to go to war with them, and so we sign a piece of paper and we agree, yeah, we'll help you out, we won't fight you, and all these. But in those days, what they did is they, they, the people that had authority or power, they would marry into families. It was done really up until, well, it's still done in some parts of the world today, but, you know, really even through Europe, um, back, uh, you know, even a hundred, couple hundred years ago was still going on. Hey, you marry my daughter. That way you'll never go to war with me because we're kind of connected in family. And it just became something that they did. And since they were small, like little city states, if you would, don't think of them as countries like we think of them today. Like Watson will be a country. Uh, it, would be, uh, uh, it would be a little bit bigger than Aptos, uh, a lot bigger than Freedom. Capitol would be its own. Santa Cruz would be its own like station. And each one would have its king. And so, you know, you would have a lot of neighbors and they would tend to marry a lot in those days when they wanted to make treaties in that way. This guy seems to have a little bit of Gideon in him where he was kind of doing that after the Lord used him. Um, but it doesn't tell us much more than that, other than the fact that when you can have 30 sons, you would be 
pretty well off. The other thing that made him wealthy was they had um, 30 towns that they ruled over, so his influence was pretty big. And then it says they rode 30 donkeys, and you may not think that of being much, but in, in those days, a, a donkey was equal to a, really a, a pickup truck in our days. You know, and on a farm, you need a truck to haul stuff and do things, and so a donkey was very valuable. So if you had a donkey that you just had to ride, and it didn't work, that means you're very wealthy because you didn't have to work your donkey. You could just ride on him. And uh, normally they would walk, and they'd use the donkey to haul things and pull things and do all sorts of things. So if you had a donkey that you just had just to ride on, it was a, it was a sign of wealth. And uh, again, you had money. Um, that's all we know about him. We don't know anything more. The Lord didn't choose to give us any more details other than he reigned for uh, the the 22 years, and again, he was used by the Lord, but he didn't choose to record uh, any of those details, as I said. Well, so now there's two judges, and now we'll we'll talk about the last one here for the next, oh, uh, well, the rest of our time together here tonight. So let's look at verse 6 and get a little background, and then um, chapter 11, we'll, we'll pick it back up with, him coming on the scene. So verse 6, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, uh, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. And if you've been with us as we've gone through Judges, it's that same old cycle, you know, uh, uh, you know, they start walking away from the Lord. They start doing their own thing. Uh, we don't really need the Lord. We can do this. They start doing things what everybody else was doing around them that wasn't of the Lord. And again, it lists all the, the people, the Sidonians, the Syrians, the Mo- Moabites. And those are all the people that were left in the land that they didn't run out and even some of their neighbors. And they just basically they started saying, you know, rather than serve the Lord, let's just do what everybody else is doing, we'd say today. What are they into? What are they all about? What are they talking about? What are they doing? What's the latest movies they're watching? What's the latest games they're playing on their phones? Or what's the latest things they're going to or talking about or, you know, having or getting or doing or going or any of that kind of stuff? And they started just getting into what everybody else was doing. There wasn't that, that separation under the Lord. It was like, well, let's just do what everybody else is doing. And again, it's no less of a temptation today, guys. You know, we can either choose to, to follow the Lord and, and listen to the Holy Spirit speaking inside of us, or we can kind of just go with the flow. I, um, so, as I said, Ethan was um, up in Canada for the mission trip, and he came back, and he, um, I, you know, I, I, I picked him up at San Francisco at uh, the airport at one in the morning, so I was a little, nonetheless, I was tired, and then it was a little bit after that. Then we had to drop p- kids off, and then we got back, and finally I had to take everybody home. So I was the last one to get home. It was about three in the morning, and and I was kind of out of it. And then, um, you know, Ethan had a few things that he wanted to show, and, and Annabelle and Anastasia were, were up, and so they gave him some stuff. And I kind of went to bed, and, and in the morning I kind of slept in a little later than I normally would because it just... I'm just getting older. You know, getting a couple hours sleep and getting up is just, <laughs> can't do that as like, like he once did. And so, you know, and then there was some stuff he had out on the counter he had bought. And, and it wasn't until later on in the day he said, oh, Dad, um, can we go to 7-Eleven? I'm like, okay. 
I guess. We can go. I had to go out to the bank anyway, so I said, oh, yeah, we'll go to 7-Eleven. And, uh, and then I got to the bank. I said, well, what do we need to go to 7-Eleven for? I thought maybe we wanted a Slurpee or something. He said, oh, no, I want to get some lighter fluid. I'm like, lighter fluid? I said, Ethan, we don't have a barbecue that has, has lighter fluid. We have a gas one. He goes, no, no, not that kind of lighter, this kind of lighter. And he pulls out of his pocket a lighter, like a lighter lighter. And uh, I'm like, Ethan, where'd you get that? Then I look on the side at a thing at Canada and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I wanted to get a souvenir. I go, a lighter? And then I think, okay, he's 13 years old. Guys, do you remember having matches and burning down everything, <laughs> lighting everything on fire? <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, okay, it wasn't the best decision. I wasn't there, obviously. That's why, you know, he chose that. Okay, whatever. Just, you know, gave him the whole spiel. Don't light anything on fire, this and that or whatever. And, and then we go to 7-Eleven, and they don't have anything. Oh, I know. We went to grocery outlet. I said, do you have any lighter fluid? And of course, they take you to the barbecue buy fluid. No, no, we need a small for a lighter lighter. And they're looking at me, and I, no, no, I don't have any. Then we went to the 99-cent store. They didn't have any. Then we went over to 7-Eleven. They didn't have any. And we're looking around, and I go, who sells lighter fluid anymore? I guess that, you know, when I was a kid, everybody carried it, but not anymore. And, uh, and then the gal at 7-Eleven said, oh, there's a, a smoke shop. And I thought, a smoke shop? And Ethan goes, oh, I know. There's one. There's a new one over by, by Papa John's or whatever, that by Target over there by Starbucks. And I said, okay. So we walked over there, and, and then um, I wasn't really thinking about it, and I walked into this place. And I have never been in a smoke shop before, but maybe you know or maybe you can imagine. You walk in, and I'm, I walk in the door, and I go, oh, this is just not a good place. <laughs> because all you see are these bongs everywhere all over the place. That's all it is. It's all about, you know, I... I I guess in my mind, I thought it was about cigarettes, but I, I don't know why I just thought that. Of course, with the new laws and all that stuff, I'm like, man, I don't want to be in here. I don't want to be seen in here, and I don't want my, you know, my, my son to be in here seeing all this stuff. And then, you know, of course, the first thing he does is, look at this thing, Dad, it's $200. And I'm like, oh, okay, so okay, let's, you know, get out of here and all that good stuff. And, you know, I had a good talk with him, and the point is to this big, long story was, you know, the direction of this of the world and California and Canada, really, and more states, and it'll continue in that direction. Is hey, it's okay. The state allows it. It's not illegal anymore. You know, you can do this. And and my point is of all this, it's kind of like that's what you know God's people should have known better. But they start just doing what everybody else is doing. And well, it's legal, or uh, you know, I don't feel bad about it, or you know, they're out. You know, they're, and I just picked that one because it just happened to me. You know, yesterday or the day before, yesterday. And, uh, you know, but the world's moving in that direction. And even though the world says it's okay and everybody says it's okay and, you know, this stuff, it doesn't mean that's what's for us. You know, we're to be separated. And we don't get involved in whether it's gossip or that or, you know, out at Applebee's till one in the morning or, you know, whatever it is. You know, and there's just a, a huge thing of it. You know, the world's heading in that direction, and we have to realize that we're separated under the Lord, and we're not heading in that direction. And we're, we're heading it, and we're following Him. And, and you know, we just don't want to get caught up in the flow of where everybody's going. And just because everybody else is doing it, and everybody else seems to be having no problems or whatever we think in our own mind, we just need to be careful. And, and again, it's even worse because... Uh, these are people that know the Lord, or at least knew of the Lord, and, and they literally just know we're going to just kind of go the way of the world. And that's, it's different from a person that doesn't know the Lord and getting involved in all that. You expect it, but, 
But somebody that knows the Lord, now they're making a conscious decision to walk away from it and just get involved in things that they have no business to get involved in. And um, we know that when that happens, things don't go right. And let's find out what happens. Not that it's going to be a surprise to any of us, but verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Amnon. And for that year... They harassed and oppressed the children. Uh, sorry, from that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for eighteen years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of Jordan and in the land of Amorites in Gilead, moreover, the people of Amnon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And again here, so the Lord said, listen, if that's what you want, if that's the desires you're going to pursue, and, and this is what you want to chase after, then he just says, okay, I'll allow those things to come into your life, and we'll allow those to rule over you, because those things will rule over us. You know, we choose what we allow to rule over us. Really, we can choose our passions, our, our desires, we can choose uh, things that we feel about, people... Uh, uh, you know, allow their emotions to rule over them, what they think, you know, what they believe. And, you know, and then the Lord finally says, okay, if that's what you want, here's what it's like to have those things rule over you. And we know people like that. And we've been like that. Hopefully we're not like that now where we just allow, you know, maybe once in your life, you remember what it was like to allow your emotions rule over you. And however you felt in any given moment was, you know, you, if you felt happy, then everybody was happy to be around you. If, you. if you're in a bad mood, everybody was in a bad mood. You know what I mean? And, and this and that. You know, if you're up, you know, the world's good, looking good. If you're down, the world's looking down. Um, you know, if you're following after passion or desire or something, you're going down after that. And, you know, you spend all that time and energy and resource. And it, it just, he goes, okay, if you want that, I'll let you have that and see what that's like. And here it is. And we'll see in a little bit, but when those things run out and they're not as fun as they once were, and pretty soon you find yourself kind of enslaved to those, and that's the way it is, and you're tired of it, or something goes wrong, can any of those things help a person when they're like that? Well, obviously not, because what did it say? 18 years of misery. What, what you know... Wouldn't it have been good if they just turned after a week? Oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, man, this is not good. Okay, Lord, forgive me. Or, or a month? But 18 years of that misery. Um, it's a good reminder for all of us to keep short accounts with the Lord. You know, um, why prolong all those things and allow them to get so miserable and miserable and miserable and miserable? Uh, uh, we can get that way, sadly, but, you know, these guys, it was 18 years of misery. They could have turned, but they didn't. Well, in the verse 10, it says, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served Baals. So after 18 years, they're like, Man, Lord, we need you. So they call out to him. Okay, good. Good, which is right. They call out to the Lord because they know he has the answers. Okay, but verse 11, so the Lord sent to, uh, said to the children of Israel, and probably some unnamed prophet he sent their way, 
uh, and he says this to him, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and the people of Amnon and from the Philistines, also from the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the uh, Mononites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand? Verse 13 says, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And so, you know, you, you chased after these passions. You went after, let, let those things help you. Cry out to help for them. See how that works out. You know, you thought they were your friends, you know, uh, you were looking for them and you got involved in all this stuff. And where are they really going to be when all the chips, you know, get cashed in? How are they going to be there? Are they really going to be there? And, you, you know, God's almost saying you spent so much time and effort and resources on those things. But they can't help a bit when problems come. As a matter of fact, they're really the source of the problems. And so the Lord says, listen, you know, you wanted to chase after those things, and you spent a good time doing that, and, and now you've been in bondage for 18 years, and you wait 18 years, and you're going to call out. You know, he says, well, why don't you ask for them for help? You thought that was the way to go, and everybody was doing it, and everybody's having fun, and this was a great thing to do, and yeah, you know, we don't need to, you know, Lord, we're okay. We got it all together now, so we don't need you very much. We got it together. And so you chased after that. Well, why don't you go to them for help, the Lord kind of says to them. And, and verse 15, the children of Israel answered, said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day we pray. And so the response is what it should be. They throw themselves on the mercy of the Lord, which is a good thing. Now listen, Lord, yep, you're right. We deserve that. And But Lord, we're, we're coming to you asking for your mercy. And not only that, this is just as important, verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve the Lord and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. So this is the key. They know where it should be and where they should be, and they turn to him, which they should. And the Lord says, listen, is that what you really want? I mean, are you going to be back for a week, a month, a year, and then you're going to be off doing the same thing? You need to make a decision. What are you going to serve? Are you going to serve me, or are you going to serve your own pleasures or appetites or passions or whatever it is, or are you going to serve me? And, and if, you know, see how those things work out. Uh, Lord, we know they're not working out. We're coming to you when we ask for your mercy. And then they do something very important, and this is the key. They just didn't feel sorry and feel miserable. Uh, and they were because everything was falling apart. And, you know, when you get busted and everything's falling apart and things are going wrong, you feel miserable and sorry. But it just didn't stop there. It says the difference was they repented, right? They yeah, we were doing all these things, we were serving all these things, we were involved in all these things, but what does it say in verse 16? Yep, it's miserable, and Lord, we're turning to you, but we're also turning away from those things that got us here. We just don't want you to bail us out of a tight spot. We want to change. And I think that's such the important thing. When we find ourselves maybe in positions or maybe straying away a little bit and we call out to the Lord because we know we should and that's a good thing and we should do that. 
But the other thing is, you know, we, we back up with what, not, Lord, just deliver me out of this tight spot. Lord, just get me out of these problems. Lord, rather, you know what, I, I, I want to serve you. I, I, I want to change. I don't want to follow those things. I don't want to be a slave to that. I don't want to be just like everybody else in that broad road that leads to destruction. I don't want you just to bail me out of this tight spot so I can, you know, find myself in another one a year or two or whatever later on. No, we want to change. And so that's what they did. They put them all away, and then the Lord answered them. And verse 17, And the people of Amnon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people and the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the people of Amnon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And, and going back in the you know, land of Gilead, it was, um, well, eventually it'll come from Tola up there on the right side, uh, right around this area. That's where he's going to come from, and they're around that area there. And Gilead's a little bit to the west of that as well. And so they're over there. They kind of gather together, but it just tells you the state of the nation. If you notice, there was no leadership um, at all. They, they really didn't know who, who should lead them. because, um, And this is really what the characteristic of, of, of a people or a person who's turned away from God. They're kind of leaderless, and they don't know where to go, where to turn. And, you know, it's kind of like, sadly, the... The politicians of today, you know, they just tell you what you want to hear to get your vote. Um, you, you know, really, do they really want to change? Do they want to do a great work? Do they really want to see it impact things? Or do they just want to tell you what you want to hear so that you'll vote for them? And uh, they know the buttons and to push and to say. And, and, and yet, you know, when it comes down to it, there isn't much leadership there. And it's kind of sad. We get a get that more and more as a as a country anymore and it's a pretty sad state and the people that want to run for office just are feeding their ego you know they just want people to respect them they want to have some kind of power and authority i'm not talking about everybody but generally speaking that's what it's what's all about whether it's from the presidential office to our local city council sadly it's um you know and then there's really this void of leadership. And these guys, they, they were so messed up for so long, they couldn't even figure out what they should do. Now, thankfully, God had a plan, and the Lord understood that, and that's why he's going to bring Jephthah on the scene in chapter 11. Now, let's read a little bit about him. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but, and again, I like this section, I, I think it's kind of underlinable, you know, for your Bible, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah, and Gilead's wives bore sons, and his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out, and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Now, we'll talk about Jephthah, and he's just coming on the scene, but I want you to see his qualifications. Here's his qualification. His mom was a prostitute, and she got pregnant with him, and that's his mom. Now, it's not his fault, but, 
even in today's society, that's probably enough for a lot of people to not like a person or to reject them as anything of any kind of importance or of any use, really. But how much more in a small little town, in a small area where everybody knew everybody, you, you know, and, you know, you, you, you know that the only reason you're there is because my mom was a prostitute, slept with this guy, and she got pregnant, and here am I. I mean, that was a reason probably for most people to reject him. And that's exactly what his brothers do, right? When they eventually get older, they're like, hey, you're not part of this family. You know, you're really not family to us. As a matter of fact, you're a big, fat embarrassment to us. You know, you know, your mom, you know, our dad did this or whatever, but we just don't want to see that around. We don't want you around. Get out of here. You have no part of us. You're just a big embarrassment Get out of here. And so they run him out of town. Now, you know where Tob is? Nobody knows. <laughs> it, it, you know, you, you read about where's Tob? Everybody's kind of guessing. They have really no idea where Tob is, which means where did he go? To nowhere and in no place of any kind of importance. Now, just knowing that, would you have think? that this guy would ever be on the list to be used by anyone in any sort of important way at all. I mean, the guy was, mom was a prostitute, had a bad reputation. His family didn't even want him around. Again, not his fault, but they didn't want him around because he was an embarrassment. And so they, they ran him out of town. And so he goes basically in the middle of nowhere, you know, or, or it's not even a place that we can even know where it is today. You know, there's really no record. So it means it's kind of in a nowhere place. He would be on the list of anybody to lead the nation, do something important, be used by the Lord, probably wouldn't even make the list. And I hope that gives a lot of us encouragement in here. Because, you know, a lot of us think that our name would not be on the list to be used by the Lord in any way, shape, or form. And we've kind of relegated or in our own mind decided, if you would, that that's the way it is because well, we have all this history or all this problems or all these things and, you know, I got all this stuff and so, man, I, I'm, I'm just a guy living in Tobe, you know, and I got a lot of baggage and uh, I, I'm not qualified to be used in any sort of way by the Lord. And a lot of people feel that way. And, and I bet you ask anybody that knew of him or around that area, if that guy would amount to anything, and they'd all say, Zippo, this guy is like a nobody. And uh, not very likely, most people think, to be used by God. Yet, this is the man that God uses. Just keep that in mind. You know, one of the reasons um, I, I associate with the Calvary Chapel movement, and some of you know the history and some of you don't know the history, but one of the things that really attracted me to many years ago is, um, you know, God, they recognize for the most part the churches, and everyone's independent, but the philosophy kind of is that we all have in common is, you know, it doesn't matter what your past were or if you were this or that or had whatever or something, you know, you came to know the Lord, you're a new creation, God does a great work, and God could gift you into doing and using you in any way. And there really isn't any limits on it. I was talking to somebody here in a local, uh, one of the local churches here, and they were talking about 
um, the appointment of the pastor and, uh, you know, in another church and things happen. And I was listening to that conversation and, you know, they were saying, well, they got to go through this and they have to have this certain education and they have to, you know, go through this certain seminary and they have to have qualifications here or there. And so instantly you've, you, you, rather than, and again, I'm simplifying it, but the point is, you know, it's like, here's the Here's the mold that you kind of have to fit in. And if you don't fit into this mold, well, you just can't really be used of the Lord in, in a lot of ways. And to me, that's really disheartening because it doesn't matter if you're called or gifted. If you don't fit into their schools and you don't have a, you know, a degree from a seminary or you haven't gone through a seminary or got your you know, masters in divinity or whatever, you don't have all these things. You just, you, you aren't quality material or qualification. Quali- and like about, you know, what I've seen throughout Calvary Chapel is that you know, here's a guy that was, a, you know, an x-ray tech or a guy that, you know, at one time was a big time drug dealer and came to know the Lord. The Lord changed his life, but the Lord gave him a gifting and, and you know, now is pastoring a church. His life, you know, in other words, all that baggage doesn't, follow you and relegate you to some nothing, nowhere place. And I like that. And, and, you know, we leave God open to use people that most people would maybe even have written off. But God's doing a great work. And, and I just don't want anybody in here to ever feel like, you know, because of this and that and whatever, that, you know, you're just, you, 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 you can't be used of God in any great way. And that's just completely untrue. As a matter of fact, that's really a lie from the pit of hell, in my opinion. Uh, you know, God wants to do a great and wonderful work. And this guy would have never been on the list to be likely to be used in anything. But yet God will use him in a great way. And keep that in mind as we, as we go through this. Now, again, think of yourself as Jephthah. You know, put yourself in his shoes for a minute. Man, listen, it's an embarrassment my whole life where I came from. And everybody knows that story. And my own family, who should embrace me, got rid of me because I was an embarrassment to them and they didn't want me around. And I go out in the middle. You know, what is his opinion of himself to be used by the Lord? It's pretty low, I imagine. He probably didn't think much would work out into his life. But interestingly enough, uh, if you read verse 3 again, after he got kicked out, you notice there was a bunch of worthless men gathered around him and uh, uh, kind of flocked to him. Now, that might ring a bell to some of you because really that's what happened when David was running from Saul. There's people that were discontented and distressed. You know, they were kind of the outcasts. They kind of gathered around him, and God did great things for them. And just like that, even though Jephthah must have felt like, man, I'm nobody going nowhere, but I got some of these guys that see some leadership in me and some ability to do some militarily things, um, you know, uh, you know that, that's about as good as it's going to get. When the reality was that God was working through all those situations and is going to use all those circumstances of him, you know, kind of being that leader and, and that experience into and for his kingdom and for his glory. So we might think right now that, you know, we're breaking a bunch of rocks and it's just a difficult life and don't don't forget, God is, wants to do a great work in your life. And he's even sometimes these difficult circumstances to mold you and shape you into the person he wants you to come to use you when that door will open of opportunity for you and I to step through in faith and take it. 
And at the end of the day, God moves in mysterious ways. And, you know, God chooses people who are despised of the world. That, well, if, if you think that's, you know, everybody doesn't think you're going to amount to much, then you're like, you're high on the list of being used by God. Because everybody will see when God uses you, hey, that guy or that gal, there, how, how could that happen to him? Well, the only way it could happen is not because I'm anything good. It's because God's good, and he loves me, and he wants to do great things for me, and he gets the glory, and we're just amazed that he wants to use people like us. And God chooses the despised things and things that people think are worthless in this world to do great things. So if you feel that way, you're on the, you're on the A-list. So that's a little bit about him, but let's find out now what comes to pass. Verse 4, and it came to pass after a time that the people of Amnon made war against Israel. So it was when the people of Amnon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah in the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Amnon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are distressed? So he pretty much says, you wanted nothing to do with me. You thought I was worthless. You thought, you know, that I wasn't good for anything. And now you want me? Uh, but now you need me? Um, you know, we want to make sure we're never these kind of people, right? You know, we're talk, we're nice to somebody or do something for somebody, some kind of flattery so, you know, that we can get something out of them or use them in some way or, you know, talk about about them. But then all of a sudden we need them and then, oh, yeah, but you're my long lost friend. You know, that's so hypocritical. We want to make sure we're not like that. And, and Jephthah didn't trust them and on, uh, for good reason, right? Oh, these guys, you know, put me down and they didn't want me. Now all of a sudden they want me. Who knows what they're going to want the next day, right? And so... You know, uh, uh, he is weary of them. Now he questions them. Yeah, what are they going to do? You know, the, the other thing I just want to point out to us too, you know, who, was, who did really Jesus reach out to? You, you know, think about that. Just back to our story of Jephthah here, which I should have said a little bit earlier here. But, you know, he really went to the people that the religious leaders would just never go near, Right? You know, he was with the common people, the ones that couldn't pay their bills, that got stuck in gangs at one point or had tattoos all over their arms or whatever body, and, you know, they were working out in the fields. The people that, you know, that the religious leaders really didn't want anything to do with. And they thought they weren't going to amount to much, and yet those are the ones that Jesus went out to and ministered to and shared. And the religious leaders, well, they weren't open to any of that, and, and so they didn't receive really anything other than, you know, the wrath of Jesus at times when they came to trap him. Just remember, that, that's who Jesus reached out to. Guys like Jephthah, people like you and I. And, and, and here he's kind of questioning them. Now you, you want me to be a part of it? And so he says, well, what do you want to do with me now? And so they answer back in verse 8. They said to elders of Gilead, said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Amnon and be... Uh, our head um, over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, well, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Amnon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Like, yeah, sure. Even if I do this, would you guys really want me to, uh, you know, rule over and, and, and lead the people? You're not going to want to do that. 
In verse 10, then the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, well, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. So in other words, we'll make a commitment before the Lord that we're going to follow through. In verse 11, then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people uh, made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. And so the idea was, you know, all the leaders took him to Mizpah and maybe the tabernacle was there. It was certainly an important place where the Lord met his people before as a place of significance. And so, okay, let's, you go before the Lord and now you're going to make this commitment that if I do this, you're going to make me, you know, you're going to make me head over this and I'm going to have the ability to, to do this. And they all agreed to that. And so they went before the Lord making that commitment before him. And that's what Jephthah wanted. Listen, you know, if you make it before the Lord, then, you know, I'll believe your word. And that's exactly what they do. So now this is what happens. Here's the story of how he saved them. Verse 12. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Amnon saying, what do you have against me? that you have come to fight against me in my land. Now, here's something interesting. It really takes a person of war who knows the value of peace, right? Jephthah's been a fighter. You know, he's kind of banded together this kind of rabble-rousers a little bit and kind of led them. And so, you know, rather than jump into war, he wants to try the diplomatic approach and go for peace because he knows the difficulties of war. And so he has... What do you guys want? What's the deal? Why are you gathering together to war? In verse 13, And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt from Arnon as far as Jabbok to the the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So the reply was, Hey, give us back the land that was once ours and there won't be any fighting. Now, Let me just remind us all that border disputes in the Middle East go back thousands of years, okay? (laughs) Here's one right here. And presidents come and go, and they think they're going to make peace in the Middle East, and Europe says, oh, if we just make Palestinians a state, oh, there'll be peace over in the Middle East. Ah, come on. You know, it's been going on for thousands of years. It's going to continue to go on until the Lord returns. They're kind of kidding themselves. Those those guys are fighting over that. And they'll continue to fight over that. But so they said, just give it back to us. And Jephthah's like, well, wait a minute. That's not your land. It was given to us by God. And he'll go into this history lesson. As a matter of fact, when the Israelites took it, the people of Amnon weren't even in the land. They didn't have it at that time. And so let's read. He gives them a little history lesson. And we can find this, you know, in Deuteronomy. And we read through this when we were there. And let's let's read through this history lesson. He gives them about the land that they want. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the people of Amnon and said uh, to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Amnon. For when Israel came up for Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. And then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And like manner they sent uh, to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. So they wanted to go through that way, but they wouldn't allow him to go through there, so they stayed there. And then verse 18, they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Eden and the, the land of Moab. And they came east of the land of Moab and, and encamped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab. 
for the Arnon was the border of Moab. So no, we didn't even go into that land there in, in our history. And then verse 19, Then Israel sent messengers to Shion, the king of the Ammonite, Amorites, I'm sorry, and Heshbon. And Israel said to them, Please let us pass through your land in our peace. But Shion did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Shion gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord, uh, God of Israel, delivered Shion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. And thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from Arnon to Jabok and to the wilderness and to the, to the Jordan. Now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the uh, Amorites from before his people. Should, I then, uh, should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord God, our, uh, Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he even strike against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, uh, Ar Ar and its villages and its cities along the banks of Arnon for 300 years. Why did you not recover them within that time? Verse 27, Therefore I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. So he gives them this big, long history and says, Hey, you know, we took this land over 300 years ago, and, and when we took it, you know, it belonged to the Amorites. It didn't even belong to the Ammonites. They're, I know it sounds close, but they're a little different. Amorites, Ammonites. But in fact, we fight the Amorites for it. And we didn't even want to fight them. We told them, hey, can we just pass through peacefully? But the king of Shion and all those guys, they, they, they said, no way. And they brought their army and they attacked us. And so we attacked them. And he gives them that history. And he said, God gave us that land. And those guys worship this god Chemosh, he said, well, what does your god Chemosh give you? Now, of course, this was a jab at their idol, Chemosh, who did little for them compared to what the Lord did for his people. Now, isn't that true today, guys? Uh, you know, the gods people worship do nothing for them. Uh, you know, people worship all sorts of stuff, and, and you know, they don't like to call it that, but it's indeed what they spend their time and energy and money. Some people worship sports. Some people worship a particular sport, right? They'll, they'll, they'll have season tickets to, let's say, the Raiders. Uh, they get up before every home game at 6 o'clock and tailgate until the 1 o'clock game or tailgate till the 5 o'clock game or whatever, you know, and they'll be out there and they spend all their money and time and they plan about this and they have all the T-shirts, they get all the stuff. You know, it's, it's their God. It's sports, or sometimes it's stuff, you know, sometimes it's a car. You know, you ever go down to the Concord, down in Pebble Beach when they have those car shows down there, and that's, their cars are everything. They, they spend years restoring, finding parts from all over the world and getting every little nut and bolt exactly authenticated. It's their God, right? Or, or people chase after pleasure. Oh, if I just, you know, how many people I can sleep with, and that, oh, you, you know, whatever it is, money, things, all sorts of stuff. And, 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 you know, they worship those things, but those gods do nothing for them. 
In fact, in the end, they end up robbing you blind. And that's why he's saying, you know, our God, well, you see, he doesn't need from us. He gives to us. You know, those gods need to be fed and taken care of and, you know, put time and effort and resources and all that stuff into that worship. But our God, well, he, he's a giver. He blesses us. And, you know, he's kind of given them a witness there why they should worship the true and living God. Look, look what our God has given us. You know, your God, well, it's taken away that in, in their terms of arguing that. And he even reminds them, even Balak didn't fight against this. What, what are you guys thinking? It's kind of a warning, like, hey, you know, our God gave us great victory. You're going to enter into this and you're going to lose. Well, let's read what happens. However, the king of the people of Amnon did not heed the words of Jephthah, that which Jephthah sent him. And notice this in verse 29. This is the key here. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced towards the people of Amnon. Here's the key. What was the secret to making him great? And, and we'll see in a little bit, give him victory. The spirit of God came upon him. And again, we've read that over and over as we go through the judges. What gave them victory against impossible odds? was the Holy Spirit coming upon them, giving them power to accomplish, well, what the Lord had called them to do. And I don't think maybe we always appreciate how much blessings we have, the Holy Spirit dwelling in his children today. You know, back then, out of, you know, the nation, or certainly of all the army, really the Holy Spirit came upon one, and maybe others that we don't know, but but it came upon them for a period of time or for a service, and then, you know, that was it. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. What a great covenant that we live under, uh, that God poured out His Spirit upon us. And, uh, and we need the power of His Holy Spirit to accomplish anything. We need to remember that. Now, remember this. So the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he's gathering this army, and he's heading down to the the battle. Now, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us today, or whether it's in his day, you know, some people get the ideas like, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon me and I fall over, or I can't control anything, or, you know, these, you know, I'll see the heavens rip open. I, I don't know what people think sometimes is really happening. And they think, you know, it's just so powerful, I'm, I'm incapable of doing anything. And we'll see here that the Holy Spirit came upon him but will he rely on that strength to accomplish God's will? And let's read if he does. Verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow, because the Holy Spirit came upon him. He's gathering to people, and now all of a sudden he's going to make this vow. He made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then I will be what uh, then it will be, I'm sorry, that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Amnon. Surely that shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So he has the Holy Spirit, but for some reason Jephthah basically makes this rash vow. And he said, listen, Lord, if you give me the victory, then I will do this. I will offer, give you whatever comes out of my house to meet me. 
I don't know what he was thinking, and it doesn't tell us. Maybe he figures, you know, when I get through the gate, there's always some kind of animal coming there, or the, you know, the sheep are in the front, they're, they're going to want to come out or something. I, I don't know what he was thinking. But basically, he thought, you know what, if I really want God to help me, then I better enter into these negotiations. You know, I, I better make sure that, you know, uh, you know it's kind of like this. And you, we've all done it probably way too many times when we care to admit, well, God, I really, if you do this, then I'll do this. Like, Lord, if you help me out of this situation, I'll go to church. I'll be there every time the doors open. I'll, I'll, you know, if you just take care of this, then, Lord, I'll give you this. Uh, you know, if you just let me win the lottery, Lord, I'll give you, you know, uh, 20% of it or whatever. You know, people do all sorts of, all sorts of, you know, things. Uh, uh, you know, if you do this, then uh, uh, I'll do this. And, and see, the Lord doesn't want that. He wants us to walk by faith. He doesn't want us to try to bribe him. You know, that works with kids. Okay, if you're a good little boy or girl, then I'll give you, you know, some candy or I'll let you watch a movie on TV or I'll do this for you. You know, we kind of work, you know, things out or your boss says, listen, if you do a good job, then I'll give you a bonus. Or, you know, I'll give you a day off or something. We're kind of used to people working that way with us, but that's not how the Lord works. He wants us to walk by faith. We don't need to, you know, oh, I'll do this, God, so I make sure that you'll come through. The Spirit of God came upon him, notice, before he made this vow, but, and, and God's promise was to see him through, and he didn't need to add anything to that. He didn't have to have any other assurances. He could have trusted the Lord. And that's a you know a question we have. Do we trust the Lord? He's made promises. He's promised to be with us. Do we still feel like we have to make a let's make a deal with him? Oh, I'll give you this if you do this. And if you do this, I'll do this. And listen, the Lord wants us to walk by faith. And what he says and the promise he's given us and how he leads us, we don't have to do that. I know it's in our nature sometimes to do that, but he's going to see us through. He brought him this far. He's going to see him through. He's brought us this far. He's going to see us through. Well, he makes that in verse 32. Let's read the rest of the story and we'll finish here. So Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight, uh, Amnon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hand. And he defeated them from uh, Ar, as far as Meneth, 20 cities, from Abel, Kirathim, with a very great slaughter. And thus the people of Amnon were subdued before the children of Israel, and when Jephthah had came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancings, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, when he saw her, that he tore his clothes, you know, as a sign of distress, and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are coming uh, among those who are, uh, you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. And again, you know, making a vow in the old covenant was allowed, but again, it's not about faith. And of course, Jesus made that very clear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But what could have been a huge, incredible celebration turned out to be something tragic. Now, remember, a burnt offering was the idea that you gave something to the Lord, and it was, it was a sacrifice, an animal, and had to be a certain animal. And, and it was the idea was it was burned up on the altar, consumed completely, and that was the idea of consecration, or the, it was a picture of I'm giving my all. Now, that's what his promise was, but of course, that would be murder, and God was repulsive. He never wanted human sacrifice ever. 
So, uh, but yet he made a vow. And so he explains it to his daughter in verse 36. So she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged your enemies, uh, avenged you from your, uh, you of your enemies, the people of Amnon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And so it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. And she knew no man, which... Uh, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileite. So basically, it's a little bit debated what he did, but it seems to me in the reading of it, he just, uh, it wasn't like an offering like, you know, she's obviously being sacrificed like an animal, but the offering was that your life now would be consecrated or separated unto the Lord, and she would never get married and have children. And she just went into, uh, if you would, just, you know, serving the Lord and remain single as an offer of total consecration. And, and again, you know, so she died without being married or, you know, ever having children or any of that uh, sort of thing. And so that was the sacrifice of her remaining single the rest of her life. And, 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 the, and again, the lesson from that is, again, you know, we just take God at his word and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And we don't need to, you know, uh, do that. We can just trust the Lord. He's going to... Go on his word. We need to walk in faith. We don't have to make a deal with God. You know, if you do this, then I'll do that. That's just, that's kind of superstitious. And, and a lot of people in our community are kind of superstitious. They think, you know, you have to get on the good side of God by doing certain things or not doing certain things or, you know, having certain statues or cards on your car or beads hanging around from your dashboard or going a certain place or making a certain sign or something. And, you know, if I do this, it kind of brings me almost good luck. Now, they won't say it in those terms, but, you know, they'll kind of think, you know, I'm on the good side of God. But the reality of it is, uh, he said, Jesus, while we were yet sinners, when we receive that, we become his children. We're on the, the, the greatest side of God, if you would, the, the, the love and the mercy. And so don't think we ever need to negotiate any of that. What, what will he withhold from us, those that he loves? He, he gives us everything that's good for us. And we just need to walk in faith and trust him in that way. And, and uh, we, don't, we don't need to do that. The Lord's not asking for that. He just wants us to walk in simple faith and obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the lessons learned here, Lord. And, uh, you know, how you just used a man like Jephthah who had just been counted out by pretty much everybody. Lord, that makes all of us in here, you know, uh, the right people to be used by you. Because maybe people don't think much of us, or maybe they have a very low opinion, and they think of this because all this stuff, on and on and on it goes, and, and maybe they don't know or have forgotten, uh, you know, that you made us new creations, and you choose to dwell in your children, and you'll do great and wonderful things in and through our lives. And it's not because we're great and have this, and we accomplish this, and we're respected in this and all that kind of stuff, Lord. It's just because you're so great and you love us so much and you want to do great things in our lives. You love your children. And so, Lord, all of us are just, you know, um, can be that potential to be used great by you. And I pray we'd never discount that. 
And Lord, we would remember that, Father, you love us. And when you give us your Holy Spirit as your children, you want to use us. We don't have to make any deals or side bargains with you. We just have to trust you and walk in faith. Help us to be those people, Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys. May the